seems a pity to miss such a good pudding. And welcome to Euro Pudding. Welcome! This is season two, episode two of Euro Pudding, the European screenwriters podcast about writing and producing better TV in Europe with weird accents. Very weird accents. My name is Pierre Puget. I'm a French writer based in Berlin. And hi, I'm Philippe Schatzer. I'm a German writer and I'm also based in Berlin. Yeah, this podcast is made by Sean, the Serialize Alumni Network. We are an association of screenwriters and producers from all over Europe, basically, who went, who all went through the Serialize writing program here in Berlin. And we have a website if you want to know more about our writers and producers and uh, everything about Serialize and Sean and what we do. You can go to seantv.net. It's seantv.net. And of course, uh, uh, sometimes we are very lazy with social media because we we are old. We don't understand how uh, any of this works. But uh, we're busy. Uh, we're not lazy. Sometimes on Instagram, on Twitter, or or, or, or Facebook, or whatnot, you can like uh, what we uh, post, and you can even share. You know, like like the little excerpts or the little nuggets of knowledge that we are, uh, you know, working hard to uh, uh, for you to get in your ears. Anyway, thanks, uh, and, and like I say, you know, like, uh, subscribe, leave a comment, all of this. So uh, we have been uh, bad. Why? Because we we have promised that we would be uh, uh, faster, you know, to produce episodes that we there will be like at least once a month, and uh, uh, we we have failed you. Yeah, people. we did. We ha we have to admit that. Yes, that's on on us. I mean, this is still free work, you know, but yeah. but still we're, we're, still a promise is a promise, and we 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 failed you. Um, so I mean, we have no. I think the best thing we can do is actually to to stop promising. Stop promising stuff, and but still give our best. That because that's what we still do. Exactly. Does it sound a bit like we're gaslighting people? I don't know. It's fine. No, <laughs> we did not promise anything. No. Nope. No. Yeah, I think you you misunderstood. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, what happened for you in this like more than a month? Yeah, it's been a busy month, I have to say. I worked, I mean, I, I mentioned in the last episode that I'm working uh, on a medical show now. That's for RRD, uh, the first uh, German channel in Alle Freundschaft Jung Ärzte, which I'm really busy with, I have to say. I mean, it's full time. And we're just right now, we're planning new episodes. And I just coming from a very hectic day with lots of like brainstorming and ideas where we're sitting in the writer's room and just uh, brainstorming ideas for my new episode. And uh, yeah, but it's been great. Um, we would you say writing a doctor show is more difficult than being a doctor in, in an hospital? Because you, you have to invent first all the patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I mean, the good thing is we always have a doctor we can uh, ask questions to. So we can basically write stuff uh, like medication and injuries, accidents that we basically want to write. And they're always double checking that because that's, uh, mm. I think, what every medical show needs. I don't think it's, it's, it's different I wouldn't say it's more difficult because I think, I don't know, I wouldn't, I've never been a doctor. I have no idea. We would need to ask our friend Samuel about yes. that. Um, he could actually relate. I wonder, being an hypochondriac, if uh, um, working on a medical show would be a benefit uh, or not for me. Mm. I don't think it would be. Yeah. The stuff that we talk about sometimes, it's really disgusting stuff. But it's yeah. fun. It's fun. I have to say, it's disgusting but fun. But I feel that sometimes it's good to know that you know people have it worse than I than I than I do. Yeah. Uh, so you would write. You would. Uh, that that's what you would do. You would definitely always write about like people who have it worse than you do. You definitely do that because it's always about life and death stuff. Yes. Mostly. And and uh, yes. And real life is is not. <laughs> uh, so and what else? What else have you? Have you been up to? Uh, yeah. As I said, I've been pretty busy. I only managed to go to Oktoberfest one day. Um, usually I go like two or three, but uh, I only went one day this time, and it was a pretty shitty day because we had like uh, I don't know, it was raining and stuff. But it was fun. It was fun. I basically traveled to Munich by train. I wanted to go on a Friday. Uh, Friday afternoon, the trains wouldn't leave Berlin anymore, so I basically decided to go there a Saturday morning. So I got up five in the morning, took the train to Munich, went to the Oktoberfest. Stayed there for one see, night. See, that's dedication and, uh, because, like, yeah. like getting up early to, to go drink. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I, I've never bad, been actually. to Oktoberfest in my life in seven years in Germany. Uh, so I think you would be very skeptical at the beginning, but then if you have like two beers, you would be fine. Yeah, but you you could say that about almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so how about you, man? 
Talk uh, about your month. Yeah, well, you know, uh, talking about being an hypochondriac, I, I think I have long COVID. I'm in, it's just self-diagnosis, but like I've been very t- tired and like I have a headache since I had COVID again. Uh, uh, so it's been three months of headache, which is not pleasant. Um, I believe that, yeah. It doesn't affect your voice though. It's still as sexy as ever, I have to say. Is it? Yeah. Well, uh, and then I, yeah, I worked more in uh, the writer's room uh, for uh, Bluebeard's Daughters, this uh, true crime uh, uh, miniseries I'm working on. um, And it's going very well. Like we we had a very... um, yeah, very good sessions, and mm-hmm. it's really shaping up to be a very, a very interesting project, and it's it's joy to to write on. And then I was teaching a, a lot, like at different places, and uh, yeah, teaching TV writing. Yeah, and you've been you've been quite around a lot. Really. Yeah, and I've been in France a few times, yeah. and uh, to to um, um, the festival in La Rochelle, which is a fiction TV fiction festival, but like v- quite French centric. Mm-hmm. But it's very lovely because it's uh, on the ocean, and you you eat seafood. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, and I, I took this as a, a excuse to actually start some like holidays at the sea with my girlfriend so only no you know what not bad it was kind of a workation the word is now i think yeah well you know like a bit of like some days of work and and uh, uh, more of an excuse to to travel and uh, enjoy but all tax all tax deductible though yes so nothing (laughs) nothing terrible happened which uh is the opposite of what we're going to talk about where uh, yes you know in the uh, in all this uh genre we're going to talk about today uh terrible things happen All the time. Murder. So today our main focus is about crime shows and crime adaptations. And uh, we are going to do a big battle of deep bass voices. uh, Because uh, hello from London, we welcome here in the pudding writer and producer Ben Harris. Welcome! <laughs> hello, hello, good evening. Yes. See, I, I was not joking about the voice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, thanks a lot for for being with us uh, in the podcast today. Um, well, how are you doing? Yes, all good. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm I'm good. Yeah. Um, in my little office in my garden, as usual, um, locking my children out, um, trying to grind out documents endlessly. Um, as usual. So you're you're not in the shortlist for the next prime minister. <laughs> no, uh, it's a very long list, though. So you never know. I may be on it by default, um, but no, uh, that's next year, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I read. Yeah, that's... I read on your Twitter account that you had a bit of trouble, like getting back from your holidays uh, this year. Oh yeah, yeah. How was, um, what was that about? I was, I was not best pleased. Furiously tweeting uh, EasyJet, um, and um, yeah, it was a classic. Um, well, in fact, it was more than a classic. We were uh, in the airport uh, boarding, exiting through the gate on the airfield outside the plane. Forty-five minutes standing by the plane all families with children and then I saw um, a guy like the airport airfield guy looking quite concerned I went over to him I was like what's going on here mate and um, he said yeah the plane's not going anywhere um, so I, I won't then go on to the you know the, the long version but the long the short version is the plane got cancelled while we were on the airfield um, and then uh, it was all wonderful from there <laughs> oh my god talk about annoying yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to end a holiday Oh yeah. my um, so let us introduce you to our audience. You uh, wrote and executive produced season one of Young Wallander, uh, a show you created for Yellowbird and Netflix about the formative experience years of the iconic Swedish detective Kurt Wallander. Yeah, and before I that, did. yeah, Kurt Wallander, if you're you know from that part of the world, but Wallander will do for you know the Anglo-Saxons. And all. What do you say again, Wallander? I think Valanda is the, okay. the way the, the real people say it, but it would sound a little pretentious if I kept saying that, so I'm just going to call it Wallander. Right. Yeah. yeah, before that, you also wrote and executive produced Devils for Lux Vida and Sky Italy, uh, which is a conspiracy thriller set in the world of high finance starring Patrick it Dempsey. certainly is, yeah. Uh, you were also the head writer on, on the Big Light series Ransom for CBS and TFR based on a real-life crisis negotiator. Yep. 
That's and, right. That was me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you also wrote uh, on the ITV series Marcella and Dark Heart and BBC shows The Musketeers, Hunted and The Paradise. Yeah, those are all true. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we're not lying here. Okay. No, no, in fact. And you're also still a core tutor at Serialize, the Berlin-based postgraduate course for European, for European professionals that teaches how to be a showrunner. Is that correct? That's actually where we know you from, right? That's where we know each other. Yes, I, I'm in currently in my 10th year. Um, like the program, I'm in my 10th year, so I should get some sort of uh, plaque or rosette at least for yeah, that. Definitely. We'll, we'll try and get that organized. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. So, and you listeners, yeah, definitely. If you want to get to know Ben, you could apply for maybe the 11th year of Serialize, which is, Indeed. yeah. So do applications it. are going to happen in May, I think. So, yeah, let's do that. Maybe listen to this podcast first and then see if you, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you agree with anything I'm saying. So, uh, it, it feels listening to all the, the list of this uh, uh, series that it's mostly quite high intense thriller crime stuff that you are writing. Uh, it, it has been so far, yeah. Is it because most of TV is that? Or, or is it like really like, like, how did you end up with this specific, uh, uh, you know, like, like um, range in your writing career? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, it wasn't like a grand plan. Um, and um, I mean, I think I do love those kind of shows and, and you know uh, weirdly sort of in my 20s I wasn't necessarily I was working in television and writing scripts of TV shows but I wasn't really a TV lover um, I didn't watch a great deal of TV it was just like a job that I did um, I mean I, I liked it obviously but not like the way I am now where I obsessively watch stuff um, but um, I guess the the shows that I did watch, like, you know, I remember one of the first shows I ever been just was 24, um, where I just thought, wow, that really is extremely entertaining. Um, and I was like, unable to not watch. And that was the first show where I was like, oh, it's 2.30 in the morning. I should probably go to bed. Um, and, um, you know, so I think, um, I mean, firstly, how I've ended up doing lots of stuff like that, I guess, um, you know, there is a thing where, you write something and then people naturally will um, think of you for things in a similar vein. Um, I think that's, that's definitely a thing. Um, I guess my strengths as a writer are probably in that kind of, um, I'm quite strong on sort of narrative of bringing, hopefully he said, blow his own trumpet, uh, of, you know, bringing, um, you know, plot and character and sort of thrills and spills together into hopefully some sort of cohesive uh, arc. And, you know, when I watch shows that are uh, much more character-led, like, you know, Mad Men or, um, you know, stuff like that, they sort of scare me slightly as a writer and I'm just in awe of people writers just because I'm sort of, you know, if I don't have a kind of, you know, if I don't know what the, the central plot is, it I get a bit scared. Um, but, um, you know, so I think, um, sort of, uh, sort of confluence of things like my taste, my, what I'm generally sort of naturally good at and, um, you just, the doors that have opened for me as well. And what's it like before that, before you did that, was there other stuff that you kind of explored other areas as a writer? You yeah. I mean, into? like, I've, well, yeah, the first show I worked on was a show called Dream Team, which was um, a show about a Premier League, fictional Premier League football club, um, which was not, but I mean, it, has, it wasn't crime. I mean, there were a lot of crimes in it. I mean, I think crime obviously is quite a broad church, you know, in terms of the definitions of what it, I mean, it's not necessarily cops and robbers, um, but um, so yeah, no, I mean, I guess um Obviously, I worked with I worked with uh, our you know mutual friend Frank Spotnitz a fair amount, and he's done quite a lot of that kind of stuff, and so I've done a fair bit of that with him. Um, and I guess yeah, no, I have to tell you, yeah, the show Dreams I did was not a crime show, um, and of the thousand shows that I currently am knee deep in development with, you know, I have a, some of them are crime, but lots of them, and uh, you know, in other genres but i suppose they all have you know i have like spy shows and i have uh shows that um you know in music and stuff like that but they're all they all have crimes in them <laughs> you know um i like illegal stuff generally i think that's something i should say uh, not that i'm a 
purveyor of necessarily criminal acts, just to caveat that. But um, I do quite enjoy observing them. Great. I mean, the, our listeners cannot see, you know, the dead body in the no, in, no, behind you. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's just for us. So, uh, um, so lots of crimes, not necessarily cops. Uh, is that the 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 distinction you you? Would yeah, I guess so. I mean, like cop shows are one thing. I mean, I do. You know, I love a good detective show. Um, you know, um, I think some of you know, like The Wire or The Shield or stuff like that. Those are kind of seminal pieces of work and i think you know i do think those kind of shows they they say a lot about a place and a time and what humanity is doing at that moment uh, and i think you know as the world has kind of i say progressed that's probably the wrong word that's probably not what we're doing um has gone on um you know you have shows where you have more corrupt police um you have more corrupt political figures above them and so i think they're, they're quite a useful kind of social commentary on um what's right and wrong with the world and you know you have criminals who are good good guys and you know in the in the, the origins of crime shows they were more less nuanced but so i think they're really you know useful sort of um barometers of where we are as a as a species yeah <laughs> i think that's interesting because that, that um My, my problem with when I hear like, oh, there's this crime show and and I always feel like, oh, another one. And like for kind of political reason, I feel like as writers, we should be very careful about putting more crimes and policemen as heroes and stuff like that. So it's interesting what you're uh, saying about this, like more um, balanced views, because starting to watch Young uh, Wallander, I was a bit oh. Okay, I will watch, of course, because you did it. But I, like, I was like, ah, do, I'm not always like like choosing to watch crime because I always feel like this. Oh, you know, uh, there's more people being killed on TV than in real life, right? Like, you know, there's there's like Europe has seen a reduction by more than half of all crime of all murders, and there's like ten times more on TV. And so there are all these questions that always in my mind when I think about crime series. And then I was very pleasantly surprised by uh, Young Vanner because basically you talk about that in the show. Right. About all well, these questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, I think, um, well, I mean, one thing to say, I think, as we all know, you know, um, the, the, as we know, the kind of the building blocks, which having been on Serialized, you will know of a, of a, um, of a TV show of like goal and stakes and, uh, you know, time limits and stuff like that. Those are, you know, all inherent generally in crime shows and therefore attractive to broadcasters. And therefore there will always be, you know, crime shows made, uh, for that reason, because they're, they're, they're good hooky for viewers. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, With uh, Young Wallander, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a really interesting character. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, well, the sort of central reason why I was attracted to the project um, is because of um, he's got a very specific view of the world and it felt like it was kind of, you know, It, obviously the the books the original canon are quite old now you know sort of 70s 80s you know um or even you know early, early 70s uh some of them um when you're talking about the um particularly towards the end of his career uh henning mankell wrote uh the pyramid which is a three short stories about Kurt as a young detective which was sort of vaguely the inspiration for this series um you know and that was right back In, you know, talking about the Vietnam War and stuff like that. So when I was sort of uh, talking in talks to do it, I was like, the the question you always ask is sort of why now? Why now? What is there a purpose to make this show other than just wouldn't it be cool to reboot this franchise? Um, you know, which uh, sometimes is enough. But as a writer, I think you're trying to find like, what am I actually saying about the world today? Um, and I felt like with the state of the world, you know, Kurt is a, um, a sort of, I guess you would call him these days, like a left wing. He's, well, he's a, he's a man who cares about people who are the least fortunate in society. And, um, I feel like that's, you know, that trait of his is quite pertinent in terms of like the culture war and, you know, that, um, 
the world seems to be kind of divided by, uh, I say this sort of slightly glibly, but people who care about other people and people who don't. Um, you know, and I felt like he was quite an interesting barometer of that, uh, particularly. And then, you know, um, which a lot of stuff I didn't know about Sweden um, as a sort of naive Londoner um, going into it. Uh, when I started researching Sweden, it's sort of very interesting social dynamics, um, kind of um, sort of growing racism problem, which is sort of the West's um, racism, uh, xenophobia problem in microcosm. And uh, it all just sort of spoke to me quite nicely as a sort of, there was a, it was like, um, yeah, I guess as, as you're kind of alluding to, it was like a, it's a cop show, but it's sort of more about him as a person and his take on the world. Yeah, just just to a uh, little summary for our listeners that the the show uh, uh, starts with like uh, Kurt Wallander being like this young beat cop uh, living in a in a very like immigrant heavy neighborhood called uh, Rosenstadt. Almost there. Yeah, and. And at the beginning, uh, a young uh, white football star is being killed in some kind of terror attack, uh, and and it creates like uh, a lot of xenophobic movement. And the the like extreme right party is like taking advantage of this uh, um, crime. And there's like a, basically social tumult in the uh, in the middle of that. Uh, uh, Wallander like like gets a chance to become a detective, but at what price? I should have been there. Man. I'm not cut out for this. I want Wallander on the case. He lives here, he has connections here. It's time to ask yourself how much you want to be a detective. I think I've got something. Hugo's murder was carefully choreographed to look a certain way. To escalate the immigration conflict. You're brave coming back. This came from the outside. Help me find who it was. The Hugo Lundgren grenade flipped a switch on a case that intelligence had been building for months. He's been smuggling weapons into Malmo for years. Going after him is what's known as a career ender. Yeah, you already hinted at it a little bit, um, that it was quite uh, uh, an interesting journey for you, kind of, to uh, as a Londoner, to write on a Swedish detective that, uh, yeah, and that you have had quite some stuff to learn about Sweden and Malmo and, and everything. Um, how did that come about, that you as a Londoner actually got to write this? Um, just pure luck, I would say. Um, no, I, I had been working with Yellowbird, uh, who are a Swedish production company who had recently opened a, a UK, uh, branch and I was working with them on another, uh, set of books. And then this opportunity kind of came up. I think there was a conversation going on between Netflix and Yellowbird about the Wallander franchise, um, and about, you know, could it be? further exploited. Um, and I know that, you know, uh, Henning Mankell had written obviously this, this book before he passed away, um, which was kind of Kurt's, yeah, you because know, for those uninitiated, the original, the main franchise of Wallander is that he's a washed up alcoholic divorced detective in his fifties, overweight, beaten up by the world. Um, and <clears throat> he, um, You know, that's that's really and, and he's a guy who's kind of looking out for the little man um, at great sort of personal cost. Um, so really, this was, you know, uh, how do we well, this was him as a young, how did he become? So that was sort of my my sort of task was like, what's the first big building block of how he become, becomes that washed up, overweight, divorced uh, detective with a poor relationship with his daughter? And, you know, so I was like, well, I want to take him sort of as far away from that that point as possible um and so you know in the show he's just kind of quite um you know together sort of uh, aspirational believes he can kind of fix things um sort of guy and he sort of witnesses his first big kind of injustice um and it kind of eats away at him so you sort of just see how you know and, and the system kind of colludes to sort of prevent him from getting um his sort of personal goals achieved even though he kind of kind of solves the case he sort of 
sort of doesn't as well, just to ruin it for everyone who hasn't seen it. Um, you know, sorry, am I, uh, I've forgotten what your initial question I'm just rambling. No, no, you answered very, no, you answered very yeah. well. Um, um, but which also kind of, it always, always kind of, uh, you're answering quite nicely because you always lead me to the next question already that that's I have. That's what I do. Um, yeah, know. that's what you do. Um, yeah, also like, for example, I mean, it's, it's like a huge task to take on like such an, such an IP and develop something uh, on the one hand that's new, on the other hand that's kind of uh, true to the source material. I mean, I, to be honest, I wouldn't know where to begin. I mean, the first thing I would do would be to actually re read and like inhale like all the novels in a way that would be like the first idea that I would have um how did you start working on it did you do that the same thing and yeah how did that yeah start? yeah I did um I did but also the the sort of the tricky thing was there are novels but then there were tv shows made in Sweden and in the UK with uh you know the great Kenneth Branagh um and it was a huge show in the UK on on um you know I think they were 90 minutes actually um and you know so it was a really well-known um ip and i sort of read stuff but then i kind of had to put it all to one side because the whole thing was i was like i don't want to do like another show like those shows i was kind of like well those shows are out in the countryside in the beautiful swedish countryside long lingering shots of like a swedish design chair um, and you know, there's like long pauses and all that. So I was like, right, I want to do something that's really intense in a city, feels really claustrophobic, much more modern, kind of a bit edgy and, uh, you know, uh, faster paced. Um, and, um, so yeah, as a way of kind of saying, okay, well, I'm not going to like try and do an, an those are very good. Uh, I'm not going to try and just yeah. do another version or, you know, improve those in any way. I'm going to leave them be and just do a show that kind of um, is its own show. And is a net that's what, you know, it's a Netflix show as well. So that's kind of what they want. Um, and also just, and, but in doing so to go, okay, well, what are the things that we must absolutely retain from the source material? And those to me were those kind of central tenets of Kurt's character, his outlook on the world, um, and, you know, his sort of need to, his sort of, um, the, the understanding that in 30 years, his job will have kind of destroyed his life mm -hmm. and his obsession yes. with kind of solving these crimes would have destroyed his life. So I kind of just wanted to go, right, here's a guy who thinks he can fix the world and the world's going to kind of, the, the system or the, you know, just reality of police work is going to kind of screw him over on this one. And this is going to be the first so so those people who have never watched a wallander or read a wallander before will go okay well, this is a good show about a guy who's trying to do good in the world and it's finding it very difficult but also those people who know um the ip will go oh, okay yeah i can see how this guy you know this fresh-faced sort of aspirational hopeful character could then become this beaten up guy if this keeps happening yeah was it also sorry one one uh, one more thing was it also um i mean of course it must be like very exciting to take on such a huge uh, ip but was it also a bit like sometimes uh, i imagine it also sometimes when you like want to go out and be creative a bit of a weight to you i don't know how to frame the question yeah yeah a little a little bit although i have to say like um the Henning Mankell estate gave me some kind of do's and don'ts um which were very broad um and not at all they gave me no pushback on anything really and equally yellow but great and Netflix was great so it was kind of I I felt like um you know there were a couple of times where someone said well, I probably wouldn't do that or you know but that's just regular storytelling stuff I mean yes there's definitely a pressure of like going you don't want um legions of people going this is not right um so you definitely have to check in with that. But in a way, it's kind of um, also just from a writer, you know, sort of standpoint, it's quite restrictions can be quite good because, you know, it, you know, it means it can't be anything. Yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of a relief in a way. So you could, it has to be like this in a way you have to, you sort of already know what his, what you're building towards. Um you know, um, so it's quite an interesting challenge from a writing perspective because you're, you're trying to create something which, results in yes. something that exists already um so which i think is fairly unusual um 
certainly not something I'd done before. So yeah, there was definitely a, a pressure with it, but equally, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting. Was the um, the project always set in Sweden uh, in English because the old uh, uh, series was also shot like that, or did you at some point imagine that you could put it, make it in in England or? No, I mean, well, I, I had those questions going into it. Um, I mean, actually, and as it turned out, obviously there was a show in Swedish. Uh, the original Kurt Wallander show was in Swedish in Sweden. But then Henning Mackell is actually a big Anglophile and he actually wanted the show to be with English actors and um, in English. Um, I don't know why he liked us. He's one of the, you know, the last remaining people who has any respect for <laughs> the UK. Um, but... Um, yeah, um, no, no, it was never, I mean, I, I asked the question, um, of course, you know, and, and equally I was like, um, is this contemporary or is it chron chronological? Because Kurt Wallen was a young man would be, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. And of course it was like, no, we're doing a contemporary take on Kurt as a, it's not, it's all the, the other way around. Um, he's, he's getting younger. <laughs> um, as time passes, so um, so no, that that was a, it was that was a sort of um, a fait accompli that one. And um, how do you work with English, like like English actors and all this? Like, um, do you do you care? Like, how much is it important to respect Swedish culture? Because at some point you have this limit of it is in English with English actors, right? Um, so in terms of you know, like the uniform, of course they have the police with the S, like like, but. You know, like, like, so at what point do you, do you keep the realism and at what point do you break it for, for English and fiction reasons? Yeah. I mean, that was a constant, um, it was like, where's the line between, because you can't have, it's in English, but you can't have like an English, the, the uniform has to look right. And then it comes down to, you know, silly things you get asked when we're filming. It's like, you know, the other part I want to know, like, is the, the briefing they're reading and the meeting, is that in Swedish or is it in English? And I was like, ah, no, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, road signs, um, stuff like shop fronts, you know, so basically we just tried to make everything look as Swedish as possible, but it was in English. Um, and what did become tricky was like saying, as we've already experienced on this podcast, that, um, saying Swedish names and words, uh, places, Um, you know, they're said in a very specific way. Um, and I didn't really want British actors trying to say things to sound like a Swedish person because it would just sound bad. Um, but equally, you didn't want to just say like Malmo when it's like pronounced Malmö, apparently, in, uh, in Swedish. So it was kind of things like that were, were a bit of, bit of a challenge. It's always yeah. a tricky thing. It reminds me of the word Hefeweizen. I mean that kind of beer that we have in Germany, and yes. when you when you they also call it Hefeweizen in America, and but when you say Hefeweizen, they don't understand it. You actually have to pronounce <laughs> it their way. <laughs> it's a bit weird sometimes. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm starting to learn Swedish, and it's uh, the, the the reading is fine. The pronunciation is tricky. It's. I mean, we had uh, in our um, writers' room, we had um, uh, a writer called Anu who was great, and he was kind of our Swedish. Um, he's like Swedish Indian, um, so he was like the perfect person to have, given the sort of content of the show. Uh, perfect person to have in the writers' room for, you know, a his talents and b his kind of authenticity he was bringing uh, to the story. Um, and I got him to try and teach me some Swedish. No, absolutely got nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> But talking about the writers' room, how big was it? How would you? Uh, how many people did you have? Men, women? Well, uh, how did you, yeah, did, did you uh, not that. It was quite a small one because it was only six episodes, um, and so um, it was a very tricky one because the show actually got green lit without there being any written material. Um, it was greenlit on kind of the package of which I guess I was a very small part. Um, and so we entered into the writer's room with, so I sort of got the job and like pitched to Netflix, my take on the sit on the concept, I guess, and got the gig and it was like, right, we're going to start in the writer's room. to start February the 1st. We're shooting in August. Um, oh and God. we don't have anything we have nothing written. So it was a bit like, okay, that's 
it's a challenge. Um, so I went to Malmö in uh, in Sweden and hung out there for a couple of weeks, and um, you know got shown around by location people and whatnot. Um, learned a little, you know, as much as you can learn about a place in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, had some dinners, talked about the cultural situation in Sweden, and after that time, I was fully clued in. Um, and, um, so then went back, started the writer's room. So it was me, uh, two other writers, Ben Schiffer and Jess Rustin and Anu, uh, then joined as well. So it's me plus three. Um, I, the, the plan was because we had no, cause it's very quite unusual to start a writer's room with no Bible, no pilot. It's quite an unusual one. So it was kind of tricky challenge to, I was sort of working out what, you know, there's so many ways you can tell a story you know is it linear is it you messing around with time is it and you know i made this decision as well um which i came to regret at certain times but i stuck to uh, sort of doggedly which was that every the whole show would be from kurt's point of view um so every scene is from kurt's point of view he's no, there's no scenes without him in which when i came to paying off the season at the end and just trying to broaden out the crime or something I was kind of kicking myself for, but it kind of just about hung together. Anyway, <laughs> so um, so basically the plan was that I would do do the writers' room in three blocks of two. So rather because it was serialized, I didn't, you know, and nothing was planned. Um, I knew that in the writing of one and two, it's not going to be like I don't want to be right storylining three and four before I've at least got a draft that everyone likes of one and two because I don't I've got no time to go forward and then go back. That would basically we're just the, the train is on fire. We've just started, you know. <laughs> um we're we're already up against it. So um so we did a room um yeah, I don't know how long we did. I mean, it was probably about five weeks to start with. Um, did like a week on just the show, characters, the world, the overall plot, you know, that kind of stuff. Maybe we, that may have been two weeks. I'm not sure. And just season temples. Um, and then, you know, the old um, sort of staple, which I like, two weeks per episode um, for one and two. And then me and Ben, uh, the other Ben, uh, Ben Schiffer, went off and wrote one and two and then we reconvened and broke three and four um and you know meanwhile I was kind of rewriting one and two people were writing three and four then they came in so I was like you know fixing those and then actually there came a point where I just we had a bit of a um sort of story meetings for five and six but I just sat where I'm sitting right now and just smashed them out with steam coming out of my ears. Um, so yeah, I experienced the full, the, 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 the fun part of the writer's room where you're all just sitting around making stuff up and then the slightly less fun part of just grinding out episodes. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, did you act also as some form of showrunner, like in, uh, after the writing to be on set or uh, post-production and all this? Um, yes. Yes. I mean, it was a, probably wasn't what you'd call a full showrunner situation purely because um, the writing went quite deep into the shoot because, um, you know, it, I was still writing for most of it, so I couldn't be on set. As soon as I got most of the stuff written, I was out there in uh, Vilnius, lovely Vilnius in Lithuania. Um, cold, but very nice. Um All the shows I'm writing at the moment are set on beaches or desert islands. <laughs> that was just, I just had a word with myself at like three in the morning on a shoot and thought, I was like, what am I doing? Well, um, well you know, you, so, you can do this now. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I worked on 1999, which comes out soon, and it, it, uh, it was all shot on a virtual set. So you can do your beach on a virtual set in Vilnius. <laughs> as much as as fun as that sounds um yeah um so yeah no i did of course i was involved as um you know all the way till the end um and you know that was that was really fun um you know i i, I can't I can't not do that <laughs> at this point. <laughs> um, I can't just, you know, there, there have been times in my life where I've given scripts over and seen them on TV. Um, and I'm not a big fan of doing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's maybe open to, 
to uh, other, other projects of more, yours? more uh, also about crime within Europe because you've been uh, uh, working on different series also in different countries uh, like now this was like international British Netflix but Swedish uh, there's also this Sky Italia show um, that, that you worked on and so how do you think like crime being approached by different countries and especially as a European series. I mean, we are in the Euro Pudding podcast, so so it might be part of it, but um, how, how do you see the, the the production and writing of crime series in different countries like that? Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I mean, each one is different. The expectations are very different. In terms of the actual, the process, um, it's a very different. Um, you know, like it's always kind of a, I mean, I think wherever you are, apart from probably, uh, you know, as we're sort of showrunnery type people, um, you know, apart from, uh, you know, developing a show in the States at the moment, and they very much just leave you to do it, you know, uh, because it's kind of, you're the showrunner and that's, that's that. Whereas every, you know, and it's not so much, it's different here, here, there's more, you know, in the UK, there's more kind of layers of script editor, producer, you know, um, and, You know, each territory, you know, I have a show in, in France. I've got actually a couple in Germany. I've got, uh, you know, obviously Devils was Italian. Um, that was, um, that one I came in kind of quite late on. Like that was, I, I didn't, I wasn't on that from the beginning. Like I was on, on Wanda. Um, I sort of came in where there was, the train really was on fire. Um, and that was very much kind of, um, work out what we've got and a way forward um sort of you know with very little time and a shoot date looming um i think um i think in terms of i mean what i always find really interesting is you know i always find it really interesting how other countries work um how they're used to working there's huge cultural differences um and you know in general the the uk is quite a mature drama producing nation um which i think i guess you know i mean since i began serialized i think german tv has changed so much in that time like i remember speaking to the first you know the first year of serialized and they would just say there's no tv made for made for us in germany um and you know that's changed enormously and you know i've worked in germany and continue to work there a fair bit now um And, um, you know, equally, I guess, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not enormously knowledgeable about the Italian market, um, but, you know, I don't think they were doing, you know, I think them doing sort of big international shows probably quite a fairly recent phenomenon. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, um, that one was interesting because that was actually said in the UK as well, that show. So it was a slightly odd Um, sort of set in the UK with Italian protagonist, Italian production company. Um, so that was very much, and actually my favorite episode of that show um, is the episode where Massimo goes back, I think it's episode eight, maybe, um, uh, is where he goes back to his hometown in Italy. So I actually got to write about <laughs> a small fishing, fishing village in Italy, which was more of a departure for me than writing about Bankers and Canary Wharf, which I, I know many of them. So yeah. that was, you know, not, not so much of a challenge. Like at, at what stage did you come in then? Like just to, to, to explore that a bit more? Did, did they already have scripts? Did they just write themselves into a certain direction where the character is really, you know, not really working? Yeah. They, was it all of it was, It was, there was a, the shoot date was looming. I can't remember. It was like three months out, something like that. Maybe a little more, uh, maybe a little less. Um, I've probably blocked that out. Um, they had five scripts, which they kind of didn't love. They liked parts of them, but not others. And then it was a 10 season. So, and the, the back five was like a, a yeah, a sort of a figment of everyone's imagination. So it was kind of like, right, we need to fix these um these front five with a view to like what's coming next or sort of break the rest of the season and then once we know what's coming go back and try and align what's there with what we're going to do next um so they had a couple of italian in-house writers um um one of whom alessandro was enormously helpful to me um um And um, they've been on it sort of since the beginning, since they were kind of the keepers of it. Uh, and actually, all the people that worked there um, were great. I really enjoyed 
doing it. Um, I loved going to Rome. Um, it was brilliant. Rome's, you know, a fa- fabulous place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I really did. It felt a bit like what people say Soho working TV was like in like the eighties or something like that, where everyone's kind of looking cool and really excited to go to work. And, you know, there's that kind of energy, whereas now we're all a bit jaded and just sit around in our underwear on, with a laptop. Yeah. Um, whereas going to, going there to, to work felt really exciting. Do you see a, a problem or too much like, you know, like with writers or producers who come from these very, very classic, one episode procedural, like small budget, like blue sky kind of thing. Uh, how they turn, how can they turn? And, and, and do you see some friction with these producers and writers and directors who are used to one kind of local crime stories and now they turn to more ambitious international ones? Well, I mean, I think it sort of goes back to, um, you know, what we were saying earlier about the why crime shows Um, are important, um, which is that they say something about um, that place and the world. Um, I mean, I think definitely for me, crime shows really work best when you have a specific sense of where you are and there's a sort of level of authenticity that tells you about, tells you sort of takes you into a world that you don't know. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think obviously kind of like bigger international code rushes is a danger that just becomes a slightly, you know, and this is, you know, as you guys will know, a sort of danger of code rushes in general, they can become, a, you know, a, like the title of your podcast, like, um, you know, everyone's got a little piece of their opinion about what it should be like, and it becomes a sort of a box ticking exercise, which obviously no one wants. I mean, I think, um, you know, as long as something retains a kind of identity that is can only be specific is only specific to that show um then i think it's okay i think it's you know it's going to work out um but you know and i think um the sort of one of the challenges you know they're commercially attractive crime shows to a broadcasters one of the challenges of them obviously is that there's been so very many So it's like, well, what's new about this one? What's good about this one? Why is it different? Why does it deserve to be on ahead of all the other ones um, or in addition to all the other ones? And I think that's, to me, that's about um, sort of emotional integrity um, and, um, you know, saying something about the world, saying something about now, um, saying something about a specific place, um, having some sort of insight that can only be made by that show. Um, and it's not a kind of generic you know, run around and, you know, catch bad guys type of thing. Because with so many crime shows out there, it's becoming like more and more difficult in a way to find that kind of bit of like a needle in the haystack. And I mean, to say something new about or find a new place or, I don't know, creating this new kind of character in a way to to make it fresh again. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that is the challenge. Uh, and, I, and I think that's what probably why, um, you know, I don't know if you would, well, just to, to, to sort of, yeah, I don't know if you would class like Breaking Bad and Medical Soul as crime shows. I probably would, but they're an evolution of a crime show. Yeah. I think that's where a crime show, the crime genre evolves to because, you know, it's been done many ways. And so that's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, incredibly well, incredibly well done, uh, version, but you know, they're about the topic of crime, but are coming at it from a new angle yeah, um, yeah. or an innovative angle anyway. Um, you know, and particularly like having just done the final season of, of Saul, um, you know, that's very much like, is he a criminal? Yeah. You know, and that is a, um, that is a, a, a very specific way of doing a crime show. Definitely. Um, it's yeah, true. You know, yeah. love, Existential crime. <laughs> right. That's a good name. Good title, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Is it like any, uh, just for, for, for our listeners, any, uh, I mean, you've already given like lots of advice uh, of how to, how would you build or how you would build a crime show, but is there like any advice you could give for writers who want to break into crime in a way i mean you're very, at the very beginning of there just roll your first bank basically that's right, what okay. i just go from there um <laughs> yeah no um i guess i mean probably the risk of repeating myself probably finding just saying okay hopefully you're not just writing it 
I mean, it's a good reason to want to be in the crime genre. And actually, I'm always surprised um, every year to realise how few crime genre shows there are um, because I guess people want to do things that are different. But I think if you can find something that's different within sort of under the umbrella of crime, then you're onto something. Um, I mean, I think, but say that you obviously should just do something because you think it might be what people want. It should come from, um, I think, a something you feel about the world. Um, and because, you know, that's really what crime is. It's like, why do people feel the need to break the law? You know, and I think that's how drama crime drama has evolved probably over the last decade or two is that um you know we're looking at reasons people might commit commit crimes with more nuance uh rather sort of in the sort of the olden days probably like more goodies and baddies kind of thing and now it's like you know with you know with shows like the wire and stuff like that that very much got sort of examined more deeply and i feel like now um you know this sort of um, with the level of inequality in the world and, you know, the uh, sort of scarcity of money in, you know, certain places um, and desperation and people unable to, you know, heat their homes and, you know, stuff like that. It's sort of like, for me, these are the types of places where, um, you know, if I was looking to build a crime show, I'd be building out from something that I can genuinely identify with. Um you know, and, and equally from a sort of uh, law enforcement point of view, um, it's like I'd be thinking, okay, well, what, you know, because I think that's sort of, um, it's almost become like tropish, that sort of detective or cop with a, you know, it's got a dark past and, you know, trying to just one more case and I'll be whole again kind of thing. Um, even though it's become a bit tropish, I do think, you know, you need your, um, protagonist, if your protagonist is a cop or detective, to be to be emotionally invested in what they're doing, um, you know, be it for good or bad reasons. Um, so I think for me it would be a obviously don't try and just repeat what's already been done, um, but and I think that comes from not trying to invent a new gimmick. I don't think I think everything's you know every way around a crime genre has been tried by someone here or there but to try and think about you know what's the emotional engagement in this you know because there's a lot of emotional stuff that's happening in the world and um you know it doesn't seem to be going anywhere good um so i think it's actually a really interesting time to be writing about that you know i mean even just to pick an example out of the air like the you know the migrants crossing the channel from france to get into the uk I mean, that is a criminal act, but, you know, um, it's sort of packed with nuance, you know. So I, I would be looking at, you know, just to say as well, like I feel like the more specific it is, the better, you know. Um, think about one thing and broaden it out, but um, don't just get worried as a policeman who deals with all manner of, you know, I think the different homicide. I mean, it, saying that if you can do um if you can write a series an old-fashioned procedural series that's somehow got a new exciting hook to it then you'd be laughing um because i don't think anyone's really doing those at the moment or although i think William johnson the um yes exactly yeah he's got a, a crime series coming out hasn't he an old-fashioned uh, yeah, procedural poker yeah. face it it, it, it comes out in january and the yeah the trailer just got released and mm -hmm. and uh we were talking about it and and uh um yeah he really announced it like a, as an old-fashioned mystery uh, uh crime uh like in in the like of uh, uh colombo and magnum right so right <laughs> yeah i mean i think um you know without personally having the uh, clout of rian johnson um Uh, I, I don't know if I would have managed to pull that one off, um, but, um, you know, I, I mean, I think, but, you know, it's sort of to get back to my original point, I, I think it, you know, it should come sort of from the heart out, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, it what's, it, what's it about the world that's moving you? Um, and, you know, that's the beauty of crime is it is a kind of, um, it really does tell you what's happening 
that it takes the temperature of humanity, I think. Yeah, well, I, um, you know, you, you convinced me. Uh, like, I was a bit like uh, tired of all these like crime around in Europe, like, 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 like uh, stories. But uh, um, you know, after an hour of uh, uh, talking with you, I, I feel like, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's right. Pierre there's, is hooked it, again. It's an ex. There's so much <laughs> possibilities in that. Uh, Delighted to hear it. I actually have a uh, a show which um, about a serial killer that's a total subversion of the serial killer genre, which is definitely going to get greenlit any day now. Um, and so when you see that one that will be the yeah, one for you definitely yeah. and we'll have you we, hopefully we will have you back on the show talking about that then <laughs> for sure yeah definitely <laughs> all right well thanks a lot Ben for, for being with us in the pudding it was a pleasure yeah it was amazing great to see you again my, great my pleasure you. guys thanks for having me on all right when we learned everything about crime so, so we can now commit the best crime and, yeah. and never be found yeah and if you want to want to uh, write a crime show basically yeah just be original <laughs> and yeah, find I mean, something fresh no no but like it's true but that yeah, that you know like totally I, right with that i have this i don't know why like i i, I get like this narrow oh crime it, it has to be cops and investigation and stuff but it, it can be so much more and and um finding like the the humanity and the yeah, and the yeah. and the empathy about all, all yeah. these characters and even the villains and the killers and the and uh, you know like like there's so many type of criminals and so many type of people who want to stop criminals and and so I, I think uh, uh, yeah I, I'm you I, know I mean I, I really I got where you were coming from being a bit skeptical about it because you see so much crime on TV I mean even like if you just have a look at like a German TV for example there's like so much crime crime in the I don't know crime comedy there's the really dark stuff. Uh, the Tatort and everything. So um, yeah, so yeah. I'm a bit afraid that you know, like, like even with the best intentions, and I'm not blaming anyone writing these crime shows, of course, but like in the end, you have way more murder on TV than in real life, and I'm I'm a bit afraid that it creates, you know, the the perfect, you know, this feeling of insecurity that is such an excuse for you know like extreme right, the like extremist yeah, yeah. party to to want to act on, and I and I and I so. Yeah, and maybe this is me too being too like you know cerebral and and political, but uh, at the same time that this is always like a bit of a ah yeah, but you know like uh, one more cop, uh, one more cop story, you know like yeah, it yeah. adds to this like kind of very very conservative and and fearful vision of the world. But uh, for an hour uh, of the, of talking with Ben, it really showed that actually is doing the opposite. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like it's about finding the humanity in the people uh, crossing borders and yeah. doing illegal things. And, and, and uh, it's finding the humanity in, in, in all of these stories and, and showing our world in this rough, but true and maybe trying to make, you know, not a better place, but like, so, so, you know, like I, I saw like one side of it and, yeah, and I yeah. think uh, Ben like, like kind of talks very well about, The other side of yeah, of, yeah, of crime true. shows, and yeah. so I am um, convinced in that. But and also, if you were, if you just look at the skeptical thing that you were saying, uh, uh, where you kind of uh, think that it kind of enhances this feeling of 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 increasing danger, or however you might want to call it. You, I mean, if you look at it the other way, it's also a bit like it, it gives us some kind of escapism, the excitement that we don't have anymore in a way. And so it's also another way of looking at it. In a yeah, way. maybe, I mean, sure, I'm not against uh, yeah. some some APN. It would be but nice that all the, you know, that the heroes are not always the cops because in real life that's uh, not always true. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, this was, uh, you know, like this really opened my mind and now I will think about like uh, what kind of uh, uh, original personal emotional yes, take I can yeah, bring true. to, yeah, to yeah. crime stories. And, I, and you know, I'm working now on two stories which involve crimes and yeah. even cops. Uh, so, you know. So, yeah, uh, it's, you're good to go now. You know everything. Uh, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm calling my co-writers right now. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Phil, uh, yeah. uh, what, did, what did you enjoy lately? Uh, lately, I went to the cinema again, and um, I the film I had no idea about that film. To be honest, a friend of mine, just uh, Sam, he uh, mentioned it. Uh, the film's called Triangle of Sadness. It's by uh, Ruben Östlund. It actually won the Palm d'Or at Cannes this year, and I didn't know that. I only found that out afterwards after I'd seen the film. And yeah, Ruben Östlund, Swedish filmmaker. He also made uh, The Square and Force Majeure. Absolutely. And yeah, um, I completely enjoyed it. 
It was maybe 20 minutes too long. It went two hours for 20 minutes. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the last time I laughed so hard in my life. Um, it's basically a kind of, how could you describe it? Like a, a cynical, satirical take on the world of modeling and the rich, in a way. That's how I would describe it. And Woody Harrelson is in it, uh, in a totally amazing role. Uh, he was so funny. And But apart from that, um, Iris Bourbon, German actress, also had like a really funny role in it. And I don't want to give away too much, but I can only recommend it. I laughed really hard. And um, yeah, and I laughed hard for like 30, 40, 50 minutes or so. It was a really, really funny film. Excellent. Uh, yes, I heard a lot of good stuff and I heard that there was also some scandal and stuff and there's like some, you know, like uh, uh, not very uh, glamorous uh, uh, moments in the movie. Yeah, uh, you could put it that way. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, if one day I go back to the cinema, I will, uh, I, I don't know, like I stopped going like almost a year ago and, and, and I'm still, you know, watching movies at home, but I, I don't know, like, like I'm still following all the news of cinema and things, but um, I, I guess at some point I need to go back to the cinema. Yeah, definitely. Was yeah. like a conscious, conscious decision, the, the, the conscious decision that you made, or was it just like did you did you not happen to go to the cinema? I think I lost the enthusiasm for it in a way because you got into like serious stuff that you might be able to recommend us. Um, I don't know. No, I mean I always. Like I always used to watch a, a lot of movies. Like I, yeah. I, I, like at least you know, I don't know, at least like like hundred a year. Yeah, and it has really decreased this year. Okay, I still watch some old movies at, at home. I, I got, I don't know, I got like a bit tired with the zeitgeist. I guess okay. maybe, I mean. Um, uh, maybe the listener that are over 40 maybe can write and say like, is it normal? Like at some point you become like, you know, the old fool who doesn't care about what's being made today. Um, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I lost interest. Okay, okay. Uh, 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 about yeah. the talk, you know, <laughs> like the, okay. the, the, the discourse. But- I basically uh, have a new mission now to get you back into the cinema. Yes, I well, maybe, lost maybe, it. maybe and, this uh, one, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, but um, what, what can you recommend? Let's put it this way. Well, yes, I- I enjoyed immensely uh, um, a TV series on Apple TV Plus. Okay, which one? Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, uh, called Pachinko. Pachinko. What's that about? It's uh, the adaptation of uh, American bestseller by Min Jin Lee, uh, who is from Korean uh, descent, and it's uh, created by Su Yu, who is also an American Korean uh, screenwriter. And it's an amazing historical saga mm -hmm. uh, yep. set between uh, Korea at the end of the 20s, uh, in the 30s. Okay. Uh, we, at the time when Korea was um, invaded by Japan. Yeah. And we follow the trajectory of this young girl at the time who basically for uh, uh, lived this kind of very poor existence in Busan in south of, of Korea. And... And then he's forced to emigrate yeah. in Japan at the time and live in a very you know bad condition. And it's like like, but it's not just her; it's also a family story mm -hmm. because um, in parallel to this story in the past, there's also the same young woman is now an old grandmother in the end of the uh, in the in the eighties in Japan, yeah, yeah. and has to deal with her uh, grandson coming back from New York and having to deal with like the family history and going back uh, uh, to her traces in Korea. And, and it's so beautiful. Like it's so beautifully shot. I cried in every episode. It, it's um, yeah, it's a beautiful like family drama. It does. It's not afraid of going where it, it's, you know, uh, emotional and, yeah, and, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, all the big, you know, uh, um, beats of this kind of like a uh, saga but it's made with like it's it's beautifully shot all the actors are amazing uh it's also very interesting you know culturally and historically because it's not a period of of time and 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 the world that i knew that well even though i've been to to korea a few times um but yeah and it's also interesting because the the english subtitles are like yellow when they speak korean and and blue when they speak japanese so oh, so right. you can understand yeah, yeah. how much these two cultures and yeah. the, the two languages are really intertwined in this family it's a beautiful story of immigration and 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 regrets and memories um it's, i don't know i really was grabbed by it i watched the entire it's only eight episodes i watched the entire thing in two nights mm -hmm. it, it's um is it I, like oh, sorry sorry to interrupt 
No, no, and it's still uh, to be continued. So, so yeah. uh, ah, okay, uh, cool. there's like a cliffhanger at the end of uh, uh, of uh, uh, season uh, one, but it, it's it's beautifully made. Like I really recommend it, watching it. It's a uh, um, it's the kind of ongoing big family drama that I didn't know I needed, but that really like like uh, uh, moved me a lot. It's um, uh, also Pachinko. The the title is this yeah. machine. You know, is this Pachinko machine? It's kind of a uh, 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 casino thing, you know, like uh, in Japan. One armed bandit. Uh, like yeah, the, exactly. The like a jackpot thing. thing, but it's with like little uh, uh, metallic uh, balls, yeah. yes. like okay. uh, bouncing and mm-hmm. falling into different uh, uh, numbers. And it's it's re- really represents how the story is written. It's like this right, okay. idea of uh, uh, um, chance and luck and, yeah. and, and coincidences. And now like, uh, and because the family ended up like uh, uh, being in charge of one of these casino, pachinko yes. machine yeah. Yeah. Uh, place. Um, but also it really represents how the story is written. Yeah, um, yeah I loved it. It's, is it like, is it like uh, tone-wise, is it like comparable to, I don't know, like if you say like a very moving family drama where you cry a lot, where even you as a viewer have to cry a lot because a, a, a series that surprised me while I watched it was, for example, This Is Us. Well, it's not completely far from it, but it, Pashinko is really interesting because it's even though it's quite big and there's like you know an episode during the big 1933 earthquake and you know like so it's it's it it's not afraid of being sometimes spectacular in the way it uses history. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I really feel like um, it's not too soapy and I use that not as a judgment you know yeah, I, yeah, I love, yeah. but like this is us can 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 uh, rely sometime on on quite like external problems coming to the people and I think Pachinko is really good at um, the people create their own problem yes. by trying to be good by trying to be okay. nice um, and it's not like a tearjerker in a sense like oh look it's sad it's mostly emotional it made me cry because it's people sacrificing something it's people mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. the right thing and it hurts yeah. you know to be brave yes. you know this is this kind of uh, um, so, so it's not like dealing with historical uh, external things that are happening to them, even though it's part yeah, of it. Yeah. But it, it's it's really how, how they use uh, and, and uh, yeah, um, the the writers and uh, and this uh, Shorna, she really is really um, amazing at using like little, you know, moral and and you know how good things how how kindness yes can be such a conflict. Okay. You know, like like trying to be kind can yeah. can actually yeah. create so much more problems for yes, you yes. than being mean like the others. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and this, I don't know. It, it was very very touching and and uh, beautifully made. And and I'm really looking forward for season two that is now being shot. I think. I guess that's it for this episode of Europudding. Uh, so uh, thank you for listening. We will be back very soon with no promise of when, but hopefully very soon with more exciting guests and you'll find the show notes and links of what we talked about on our website it's europudding.com and in your favorite podcast app yes and uh, tell your friends like subscribe share uh, find us wherever on the internet and um, say say something nice and uh, you can also write us at of course info at europudding.com